0: Self Made. I'm your host, D. Brown, CEO. My guest today was abandoned in the street of Chicago at birth, but he was able to take his trauma and turn it to triumph. Please help me welcome Washington County Judge Joseph Wood to Self Made. Judge Wood, I'm glad to have you on the show. D. Brown, CEO, good to be here. Man, your story is one of uh, uh, a tragic, tragic situation uh, that ended up turning out really really good uh, you know at the end of the story but I want you to set the stage for my viewers. Uh, It was the bitter winters uh, in Chicago and you were abandoned uh, by your mother at birth.
1: Set the stage and take us back to Walk us through that journey. Well, I always knew I was adopted. Um, I, probably at 10, 11 years old, I actually remember going through the, the process and the judge saying, hey, we're going to change your name and all. But that's all I knew. The adoption was closed. You couldn't have any information uh, because it was a closed adoption. Protect the people who gave me up for adoption, the people who are adopting you, and protect the, the adoptee themselves. Uh, however, the laws changed in the state of Illinois about 12 years ago They said if you were ever adopted in the state of Illinois, you can have your original birth certificate. The original birth certificate is like gold for people who are adopted because on that original birth certificate you find out who your birth parents are and right. you do want to do your search and look for medical history, you can, you can do that. Well, Illinois was overwhelmed by the number of people looking for their original birth certificate. It took a month to send it to me and I have three daughters. Two son-in-laws, three grandkids. I know what a birth certificate looks like. Right. When the mail came, I opened it up. I was surprised. This is not a birth certificate. What is this? Right. This is your foundling birth certificate. And like your your viewers and myself, I'm. What's a foundling? I never even heard the right. word. Right. I Had to look it up. You were found. You were abandoned. I said, What? What do you you, you? you were found on this day. I said, that, That's the day I celebrated as my birthday. But that's all, actually the day that you were you were found. found. That was the day I was found, and that just I'm 45, 46 years old at the time, and that just hit me like a two by four on the head. What do you mean? This is, wow. Right. So I went on to read it, you were found on this day at this address by this man, Caesar Johnson, and taken into the orphanage by this doctor. And that was it. And yeah. man, that just, it, right. I mean, it took me a couple of weeks to mar- let that marinate, to spend your whole life thinking this is your birthday. right? And then to find out, no, that's just your found day. And so right. what other things were going? Well, I'm a fighter, I say, I gotta find the doctor who took me into the orphanage and say, hey, do you remember anything? Can you recall anything? Did all this research and I found that doctor. He had died in 1999. Okay, uh, I, w- I wonder, can I find the guy who found me? Yeah. And uh, Brother Brown went into this research and I ended up finding the guy. Um, I had three numbers, a bunch of Caesar Johnson's in the state of Illinois. Right. Um, 99% of them were younger than me, so it couldn't be been any of them. Three numbers left. I, um, I called my wife, I was, at that time, the Deputy Secretary of State in Little Rock, and about 10 in the morning, I called my wife, I said, hey, I got three numbers, I'm going to go ahead and call these names to see if they're they would call anything if they were the people. Uh, how do I get them to take my phone number down? Right. And my wife said, "Well, why would they need to take your phone number?" I said, "Well, if I say something that surprises them and, and they hang up the phone, at least they have my number if they ever decide to call back." Right. You got to know my wife. She's like, "Well, you just call. You always <laughs> analyze and get out of your head." And right. That wasn't the response that I wanted, but if you've been married a nanosecond, you just do what your wife says and makes life a little simpler. And, right. Right. Uh, but so I went ahead and called the very first number. Uh, I was about 10 in the morning. An older woman answered the phone, and I said, "Hey, my." name is Joseph Wood. I'm a, uh, uh, down here in Arkansas. I'm looking for a guy by the name of Caesar Johnson. He would have saved someone um, back in the early 60s. And, and she's like, that kind of woke her up, saved someone? My husband saved someone? And that kind of woke her up. Yeah. I said, yes, ma'am. And she said, well, what's your phone number? Now I'm a little surprised because right. I just, <laughs> right. you just had the conversation. I said, What's my phone? And now I'm in my head again. What's my phone? Why why do you now I'm crawfishing. Why do you need my phone number? She right. said, Well, he's 80 years old. He's hard of hearing. I may have to switch phones. I'm thinking, wow, if he's 80 and I'm this may that, be the that, guy. Right, I'm right. working the numbers in my head and all, all of a sudden I hear, hey, what's your phone number? I, oh. So I started giving him my phone number. all of a yeah. sudden she said, Hold on, you said save someone. I said, Yes, ma'am. She said, Was it the baby he saved? Yes, ma'am. Are you the baby he saved? Yes, wow. ma'am. Oh, Jesus, Jesus. Oh, she went into a Holy wow. Ghost meltdown. Oh, Lord, Jesus. Jesus. She went, on, and I just started bawling. I mean, I'm crying. Jesus, Jesus, wow. Caesar, that baby you saved. She's screaming in the background. Yeah. And I can, I'm in my office just, I mean, not E.T. watching the movie Tears. Right. No, I'm bawling, bawling. sobbing. And uh, he comes to the phone, and Caesar, very different than her name is Ruthie, uh, he comes to the phone. Hello? <laughs> my name is Joseph. <laughs> I mean, I, I right. could not control myself. He said, hello? He can't hear anything. Yeah. She's in the background. She tells him. He comes back to the phone. He said, oh my gosh, you alive? Oh my, I, I, man, that had to be 50 years ago. Yeah. No, it was only 45 years ago. I had right. to let him." And he says, wow, you're alive. I remember like it was yesterday. And he goes on to tell the story that One of the coldest days in Chicago, snow and ice outside, he had just put his wife and kids to bed, uh, put on his coat and scarf, and he walks out of his apartment complex and there's a box with a blanket moving. and He doesn't know what it is, he thought it was an animal or a dog, so he takes his foot to move the blanket. And the blanket moved and there was a kid in there. And he's looking up and down the street trying to figure out where this kid came from. and He can't see because it's nighttime and the the snow is blowing, so he picks up the box. he walks back into the apartment complex. He wakes his wife up. He then wakes his neighbors. They start walking around the neighborhood trying to figure out where this kid came from. And uh, a few hours later they call Chicago police. Chicago police came. They're asking questions. They're walking around the neighborhood again trying to figure out where this kid came from. They say, hey, you saved this kid. We're going to take him to the orphanage. And uh, that was the beginning of my journey. And and he's like, wow, Wow, 45, 50 years ago and you're alive. That's that's awesome. i love to meet you. And um, I said, well, I'll be in Chicago in another month, visit my family and yeah. uh, got a chance to meet him. You had a chance to meet him Oh in my gosh, what a, what a, what a, and he was just so, so excited. His family had heard this story all his uh, life. Right. He's 80 years old. He was a Korean veteran. Um, and I think it did something to him to find someone that he saved. He right. lost friends in Korea. Right. Uh, he struggled when he was uh, at, at coming out of Korea. But this is something that he did and, and he, did. he saved somebody. Right. In fact, the state of Illinois, the state Senate gave him a citation saying, thank you for serving our country and thank you for saving this kid because now Arkansas gets a deputy secretary of state who's now running for judge. And uh, his family heard heard this story. In fact, uh, probably a year after we met, he said, hey, will you come to my family reunion? I don't know any of your family, why would I go to your family yeah. reunion? He said, no, I want you to come and talk, I want you to be our, our speaker, and I'm like, speaker? He said, it's a big to-do. we we'll do it down in Greenwood, Mississippi. Really? Uh, we'll do a uh, uh, masquerade ball on Friday night, picnic on Saturday, and then we'll have church service dedicated to our family on Sunday, and then we have a big luncheon, and we want you to speak at that luncheon. And I said, I don't know your family. My wife said, we'll go, and again, yeah. you just do what right. she said. <laughs> well, two weeks before we were to go, I get a phone call from Ruthie, his wife, uh-huh. Uh, Caesar's in the hospital. His kidneys collapsed. Are you serious? Do I need to come to Chicago? No, no, we need to go to the family reunion deal because they're expecting you. They built all this around. I said, I don't know his family. I don't know anybody except you two. And and my wife said, we'll go. And we went, and they loved on us just like Caesar and Ruthie. eh? And come to start talking at this luncheon, at the end, I, they're standing up, they're clapping, and a couple of men older than me are crying, and I don't understand why. And they said, all our lives we would go to Chicago, couldn't wait to go to Chicago and spend it with Uncle Caesar, and he would always tell us the story about this kid that he found. And right. now you're standing in front of us. That's an amazing. Amazing, that, amazing story. That is yeah, That just blew them away. Well, they end up calling Ruthie and saying, she's telling her, hey, this is what it was like when he was here and all. He told you that I was crying and screaming and Holy Ghost on the phone. You don't know why? I said, no, I don't know why. She said, because he always wondered whatever happened to that kid that he found. And when you answered the phone and said that you were the kid that he found, I knew the Lord had answered his prayer. Right, so anyway, right. it's just been that kind of journey. He passed away a few years after that. In eighty. Uh, he was 86 when he passed. His family called, would you come and uh, speak at his funeral? I'm like, oh. yeah. and so that was my first time spending time with a person who I met in part of my journey, the beginning of my journey. Right. Uh, and now he's leaving, and so I still didn't know a whole lot of anything about wh- wh- why I was left, why I was abandoned. Again, I always knew I was adopted, but here it is. I found the guy who found me. Um, that's a, that's so that was that was Caesar Johnson, Private First Class, Korean vet. So how long was the search
0: before you finally tracked down Caesar? How much time?
1: So that was forty-six years when the 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 uh, uh, the founding when the law changed, and probably oh my gosh, not even three months, four months after I got that founding certificate that had names on it, my husband started working on it and, right. and I found him shortly thereafter. Uh and so it's been and again, great his he had kids. They still talk with me today. They still see me as like a brother and sister. Right. Because right. That's, fact, that's the feeling I Oh, get absolutely. That. He in fact his uh son, Caesar Junior, uh-huh. Caesar Johnson Junior, man, I wish I wish that you were our brother. I mean you yeah. you're like our because he's my older he would be my older brother. And, yeah. and In fact they uh when the police came to get me, the brothers and sisters were like, we need to keep him, Dad. We need to keep him." Yeah. you know, like they found a pet, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, we're in this little bitty apartment. We can't take care of another kid. And then the police and the uh, uh, orphanage, St. Vincent's, they continue to call and ask, did you want to adopt this kid? Did you want to adopt this kid? Because he was the first one to, right. to spend some time in find me. So.
0: Right. So uh, talk about the the. Your parents that adopted you sure um, wow do you what do you first remember about that transition from the orphanage
1: to i don't new family? i don't remember a lot of the orphanage i don't all i remember is that they would have sisters come to my house the people who adopted me because I was adopted at 10 years old, they started fostering care of me early on, dog. And uh, they would come to the house to see how things were going. They were very concerned because they they had been married, my mom and dad, Loretta and Sylvester, had been married for about five years, couldn't have kids. And that's wow. all my mother wanted was a house full of kids. Yeah. In her high school year book she wrote, I want to be a teacher and I want to have a house full of kids. Well, she graduated from high school, went on to become a teacher, five years of marriage to my dad, who was a construction worker. They didn't have any kids, and that's all she wanted. My dad tells a story, my grandmother tells a story, that your dad didn't like coming home from work because your mother put him back to work. She wanted to (laughs) get pregnant and have kids. He was like, oh, I'm tired, I'm exhausted. So she finally said, let's go to the orphanage and we can uh, adopt, foster care a little girl. And he was like, great. They go there, and she says, this boy said, no, let's do this, and so they bring me home, start foster caring me then all of a sudden she gets pregnant, has my brother. A year later, she gets pregnant again, has my sister. A year after that, she gets pregnant again, has my brother, so it was like, God said, we'll give you a house for the kids. We'll get this one first. But the orphanage was concerned because now that they had their own kids, would they end up giving me back? And uh, and so at 10 years old, again, the the adoption and all was final. I remember though, going to uh, court and the judge saying, hey, your name is gonna change from Joseph Thompson to Joseph Wood. Uh, do you love your mom? Absolutely. And uh, I thought that that's what all kids go through. I right. don't know at, at 10 years old. Right. And um, then not long after that, mom and dad had divorced or they were going through a divorce prior to them adopting me. I just didn't understand all that particular piece. But mom was like, this is my kid. and so. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, mom and dad, uh, she did everything. My biggest cheerleader in life was my mother, she mm-hmm. just, and I think she put so much into me because she didn't want me to feel different. She wanted me to to have this, uh, have a chance at life, and right. that's why she went and did what she did, right. my dad. So where did you grow up and what was your, your childhood like? Grew up in Southside Chicago, starting mm-hmm. in Roseland, uh, uh, and then went to Jeffrey Manor, again, pretty, pretty tough areas of Chicago, mm-hmm. uh, being the, the oldest of four, again, trying to have that responsibility, taking care of your younger siblings right. and all. Um, a lot of gangs, a lot of violence, a lot of drugs. But again, uh, we grew up in a community that everybody was everybody's parents. So yeah. you get caught in trouble down the street. That parent came out and got on your case. And before you got home, mama already knew and you got it again. Um, I was very involved in starting a teen uh, club in Chicago that really was uh, the church gave me keys to the church and the fellowship hall. Yeah. So I always had access to bring kids there. And it just grew because parents were looking for a safe place for their, their young people. And my mother said something to me, you will always be engaged in the communities that you live because this is where you live. Right. And, and so, uh, next thing I know, I'm going to um, town hall meetings and speaking on behalf of the young people, the teenagers, and trying to help the adults understand here's what we're working, here's uh, why, again, got to have street lights on in and, and the, and the parks, and here's right. where the gangs are hanging, you know, those types of things. Uh, so, it was, again, it was a, a, a good growing up. I, I, I mean, it was tough, but we didn't know we was, how tough and how poor it was because right. you had family and, and uh, church members that kind of took care of everybody. So what were some of your uh, challenges growing up in the, in Chicago, obviously, like you said, a lot of crime, a lot of violence. What were some of your biggest challenges? I think I think all teenagers and i mean all kids will walk through whatever their challenges are just because it's part of growing and adolescence and puberty changes and physical and those type of things. I just had to add a piece of having younger brothers and sisters that would throw it in my face every now and again. You're not my daddy. You don't tell me what to do because you're the oldest, right? right. You got to lay the law and let them know right. this is how it's going to be done right. until your parents come home. But also then they would throw in, well, and you're adopted, so you're not really part of that. And that's siblings. But it was also those thoughts that I had. And I struggled a lot as my in my teen years, even in college wondering why was I giving up for adoption. Now again, this is before I found out I was abandoned. I just wondering why was I giving up for adoption. There was no access to information because it was closed. Um, uh, trying to understand what did I do wrong that would somebody want to give me away, or or even to a place uh, where I would say, well, I wonder was she a prostitute? Uh, I wonder right. was my mother a product? Am I a product of incest? Or was she raping? I'm the product of that? Was uh, was she an interracial relation that wasn't acceptable? Was she too young? Was she too old? And I process each one of those as a teen, and that's right. that's a lot on top of regular stuff that you're dealing with. Right. Was she asked to be in the prom? Or you know, was she those type of things? Right. Um, so I struggled a lot with those. The only thing they would get, get me through is I would journal, I would write. Uh, and then I would say, Well, I guess it didn't matter. She had me. Whatever happened, she had me. And those were the things that kind of got me through that I would throw my hand and say, I guess it didn't matter. Right. She, I'm, I'm here. I'm here. Right. Now, uh, you are also an author, though.
0: I mean, yes, in right. addition to, and we'll talk about some of yeah, the other sure, things you've sure. been involved in. So tell me about the, the books
1: that uh, you wrote and in, the inspiration behind sure, those Sure, sure. So, so. Um, after finding Mr. Caesar and uh, my kids, my, I got three girls and uh, two of them married and uh, before they even got, uh, yeah, yeah, dad, you got to tell your story. You got to write, write this. And I'm like, right. I don't know how I got to the stairs. How, how do I write a book that doesn't have a beginning? Yeah. You know, and that, I just struggle with that. One morning, uh, about two in the morning, I just woke up and I wrote three books just, just like that. The first book was called Leaving Joy. The second book was called Saving Joy, and then Joy is what they called me growing up, and Uh they still call me Joy. And then the last book was Adopting Joy, and it was for my grandson, who's named Joy. Uh They named after me, and uh, Leaving Joy is a story of what I believe was my mother, who was uh, walking down uh, crying because she just had this kid that she wanted, but she knew she couldn't take care of, and so she takes blankets off her bed. Finds a basket in a closet, wraps up the baby in the blankets, put him in the basket, and walks down the street. Tears freezing on the face and leaves him in front of his apartment complex. Uh, Saving Joy is a story I just kind of shared with your, your viewers uh, uh, of the guy, Mr. Johnson, right. Caesar Johnson, coming out of the apartment building. And then Adopting Joy is a story of my parents who who can't have kids inside to go into the uh, Uh, orphanage and 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 get me. Uh, The publishers end up saying, you know, Leaving Joy, that book is kind of going to be tough on young kids that uh, somebody will leave a young kid out there in in the cold. I said, my Walmart, old Walmart guy, that means they got to go buy the second book. And they're like, yeah, no, can we merge the two? So, Saving Joy is the combination of both Leaving Joy and Saving Joy. The story of what I believe, my mother being a young teen girl, uh, having a kid and, and walks down the streets and, and uh and leaves him in this basket in real life it was a box but in the children's book I wrote that it was a basket right uh, and so those were the the, the uh, saving joy and, and adopting joy were the two books right so you um, you graduate high school
0: and decide to um, attend college so talk yeah. to me about that that journey
1: yeah uh, mother was an educator mama was a teacher and and so education was First and I mean, it's all about education. And dad being a construction worker, it was always about hard work. So it was a combination. Those two things we got as kids. Yeah. Uh, and so going to high school, it was automatically you going to college. Uh, I was sharing with um, some folks that I was going to Tuskegee Institute, and mom was like, That's too far away. I can't get to you. I'm like, Too far. I want to be far away. (laughs) And she said, you need to go to Iowa State. I said, Iowa State? Did I even apply to Iowa State? That's (laughs) right next door. That's a few hours away. And she said, yeah, you need to go. They uh, Chicago, Illinois does Iowa tests. So she said, great schools from grade school to higher ed. You need to go there. And uh, we're going to visit. We went to go visit. She fell in love with the place. I fell in love with the place. And so we decided to go to Iowa State and Pledge became a uh, member of frater- uh, Kappa Alpha Psi, graduated in uh, uh, Business Administration, and uh, great, great learning yeah. Um, um, yeah, there at Iowa State University. So talk to me about how you get to,
0: um, I mean, you're the first, uh, I think of a number of different mm-hmm. um, p- positions, yeah. uh, and so kind of walk us sure. through uh,
1: leaving college and starting your professional uh, sure. career. career. So uh, I, I think I made a comment that my mother said you will always be engaged in where you live. And again, I was doing it because she told me, you got brothers and sisters, I got to take a second job. You make sure that they don't get in trouble. And I'm like, what, I, do? what I wanted to tell my mother, these are your kids, not mine. <laughs> That's what I wanted to say, but I didn't say that. Right. <clears throat> get a backhand." So, uh <laughs> But I ended up starting a teen group and all, and, and I really did. The, you, the community and the engagement that adults gave me in town halls, I said, wow, I am making some kind of inroads and impact. And it's keep my brothers and sisters safe but it's also got a lot of families and a lot of young people. Got to college, got involved with fighting uh, apartheid and uh, started looking at election stuff. When I got back home, graduated, became part of the bo- uh, school boards and local school council uh, board of elections. I So I got very involved, because that's what mama said back right. then, but now it's part of me and uh, went to Arkansas, Walmart headquarters brought me down to bring people uh, to that area of uh, Arkansas. But I still did work in the community, doing work in elections, doing work in uh, uh, schools, yeah. community uh, food pantries, and um, a guy running for secretary of state said, hey, if I win this, will you be my deputy secretary? I'm thinking, you guys going to pay me to do this stuff? My mother never told me you get paid to do this. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, I'll do that. Okay. Well, he ended up winning, and uh, he brought me on as his deputy secretary, and I got my first paycheck. I went to him. I said, "So we really don't get paid, do we?" I mean, <laughs> no, but it, it really is not. It's the public service side became a labor of love, and and it really started marrying up my work in the private sector. Walmart again. I was exec there and bringing people into the to Arkansas, then I did some international, bringing executives to run Walmart International, but then now I'm on the public service side and right. really understanding how do we, what kind of service are we providing to the citizens and the taxpayers that they plan. And so I got involved on uh, elections and bringing businesses again to Arkansas on the public service side, yeah. and then I was asked to run for, judge and i'm thinking well gee whiz i'm, I'm not going to do that i'm about to run for secretary of state nor lieutenant governor and he said "Well, we got an opportunity you live up here and um so i ran and in 90 days i beat a guy who'd been running for 18 months Really unbelievable, historic. In fact, it was the first, I was a, I'm a Republican, the first Republican in 40 years to win the first Black judge in Arkansas's history. So it was a big to do yeah. in the state of Arkansas. But for me, it was about we got work to do, and so we start right. going at at the work. I will share this with your viewers, and I didn't realize until maybe two years in. I've been uh, the judge there six years. I have archives, and so some of the oldest records in the state of Arkansas is in my county and we've been able to keep that, and a lot of people lost their archives during fires and right. war and that type of thing. We had a lot of people who were able to take a lot of our records and put them in caves and kept them protected. And so when, obviously war was over, so we had preserved and we got a lot of our, our old records. The, some of the very first property in our county to ever be sold in, in, in Arkansas, first property in Washington County were slaves. Wow. and and it took me almost a year to to go through it and I'm like wow not even 200 plus years ago when this county got started some of the first property was being exchanged were slaves and here I am now the judge of this entire county and so again right. it's this was possible Came in a circle the, yeah
0: exactly right so what has been your biggest accom- accomplishment so
1: far as as judge Wow. Outside of I'm a big military uh, veteran and veteran family supporter. And I think um, one of the uh, I think for me self-fulfilling is that my first year in we were taking care of 30 veterans and their families every month. And today we take care of 300 veterans and their families every month. It's just being very Uh, intentional about making sure we're taking care of those who are taking care of us Uh, and last year uh, late last fall I ended up breaking ground we're going to be building veteran housing. We have some homeless veterans in the country and that just breaks me Uh, and and we got some in northwest Arkansas and so we broke ground we're going to be building veteran housing uh, affordable, 60 affordable veteran uh, uh, housing units right across the street from the VA hospital. So again, access to the hospital is there. Uh, it's going to be called Patriot Park. It'll be the first one in the state of Arkansas, one of four in the country. And so excited about the work that we've been doing around our veterans and our veteran community. Uh, we've done a lot of work with our roads, and our bridges and the infrastructure. Yeah. Uh, so excited about those type of things as well. But I think one of our, our biggest one. very conscious about budgets, I've cut budgets my first Couple of years, I cut almost two million dollars out of my budget in my first couple of years and got judges been around for 20 and 30 years. Like, how did you even do something like that? Right. And in your first year and your first. So. Right.
0: So, so uh, we're kind of running out of time sure, sure. for this uh, episode, but I wanted to just close the show by you just telling my viewers, what do you really
1: want your legacy to be at this point? To stay on your journey. At the end, we all have different walks but you don't know what's in that walk unless you stay on it. There's some, there'll be some self-discovery, there'll be people on your path who's going to be able to assist you, and, and then there'll also be some things that you'll realize that, man, whatever I was struggling with or dealing with may not be as bad as what this is, yeah. but you'll never know unless you stay on your journey. And so my, my, uh, my legacy, if you will, would be for my kids and my grandkids to say, gee whiz, if grandpa or daddy was found in a box I can take my, my calculus exam right, again. Right, <laughs> that's right, if he can, if he can survive
0: that, <laughs> that, that, I can survive. I can, exactly right. right. So, to, so just take 30 sure. seconds to tell me,
1: to you, what does it mean to be self-made? Well, I think that's exactly, uh, I love the show because of that. I think it's really doing a self-reflection of who you are and saying, what is it gonna take for me to move and and, and stay on my journey? Right. Uh, I think that I've been blessed no doubt about it, uh, his hands been on me from the very beginning, and I think being self-made is about being uh, able to stop and look at yourself, don't point a finger out, look at yourself and say, okay, what can I control and what can I make uh, right. and do to be better? Right, controlling the things that you, you can. can control. That's
0: exactly right. Judge Wood, it has been a pleasure having Absolutely. you on the show. Your story is uh, one of hope and inspiration, uh, and as you stated, if uh, if you can survive the situation that wow. you was born into and rise to the highest level uh, in, your, in your career, then everyone watching this show should find hope and inspiration oh, wow. in and understand that they can do the same thing. So Absolutely. thank you so much for coming to be on the show with me. I appreciate Absolutely. you. Absolutely. And to my viewers, thank you for watching this episode of Seth May. And remember, without you, there's no me.